Whoa, wait a minute. We've got to change this in the announcements. What's this Wednesday coming up, 28th? Thank you. All right, I just print them off. Um, 9 a.m. TCC Touchpoint with Steve and Joyce on Facebook and YouTube. Um, let's together say what our new website is. Ready? 10strikecommunitychurch.com. Go there. It's got some, an amazing picture of a rainbow over the church. Thank you, Brandy. And uh, lots of good stuff, including um, you can give online. Uh, you can see uh, last Sunday, I heard the service was pretty good. Um, but all the... <laughs> and I am humble. I am humble. But uh, all, all the archive services, and um, if I, you don't... I don't know if you're going to say this or not, but when I shared last Sunday, it tagged on to what Pastor Steve said the Sunday before was so good. So check that out two Sundays ago. And Angie said this morning that what I shared last week was setting her up for, the, for this morning. So the Holy Spirit is working. Hallelujah. But go to the website. There are all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, this Wednesday at 6 p.m., uh, youth group and kids join the fun, games, crafts, teaching, food, um, and we already got everything else except you can give in the boxes in the back if you're here today. If you don't want to give online, you can also mail your tithes to 10 Strike Community Church, P.O. Box 67, 10 Strike, Minnesota, 56683. If, uh, good thing it's archived. You can go back and listen to that a few times and see what I said. I wanted to share a quick lesson. This is a good tip for husbands uh, that don't do the laundry. Um, last week I said that I am a stereotypical male, um, but I have learned a few things in 25 years. Did you ever step on the bath mat when you got into the shower and it was wet? I don't know. For me, ugh, I, didn't, I don't like it. It happens. And when I get out of the shower, it's nice when it's dry. Um, did you ever grab a hand towel from the counter and it was wet and stinky? <laughs> now, my wife does a very good job with the laundry, she doesn't want to wash stuff that's clean. So I figured out some tips. Um, did you know, and I can teach my kids, that if you spread out a towel and fold it nicely or hang it up if there's a towel rack for it, that it dries out nicely when you're done with it? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, when it dries out nicely, it doesn't stink as bad. This also works. For dish towels, washcloths, bath towels, and even wet clothes, I found out. So what does that have to do with the giving lesson? Well, towels are made to receive water. A nice, soft, fluffy towel can take a lot of water. How many of you like them nice and plush and fluffy? Oh, those are my favorite. Um, the problem is, if you leave a towel in a heap... It has lots of folds and crumples and crevices that trap air and water. There's no way for the trapped air and water to escape back into the air, and it gets stinky. This can be like us sometimes. As we receive God's blessings, sometimes we tend to keep them all to ourselves. If we do that, we can become selfish and have stinky attitudes. We might become critical of those who need us 
to share a blessing with them. But here's the tip I learned. After I'm done with the towel or my kids or anyone else is done with the towel, Did I, am I back on? Okay. Do I need to hold on to this? Can I have someone else hold on to it? I'm going to hold on to it for a sec. When I'm done, it's wet. Okay. It took me a little bit longer than normal. That's a bath towel. And our bath towels go on hangers at our house. But now there's no, there's no crevices. There's, no, there's a couple folds here, but it dries out so much faster, and I don't have to deal with a stinky towel. Um, so let me encourage you today, spread out your life. See, when, this, when there's water in this towel, and you spread it out like this, now it's able to give that water back into the air. The freshness of the air will help it to dry out. And... The bless when we gave that water towel, when we gave that towel water, it did its job, and now it's giving water back into the air, and it dries out so nice. Um, and so, when I let God stretch me, and I let God speak to me about what He wants me to do, Steve just touched on a verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. As I'm taking time, and think about this when you're spreading out your towels here this week, because you're good husbands or, or good people wanting to have nice, clean towels, think about, where does God want me to give? I'm just going to be obedient. I may not know why that person is on my mind that's annoying me. Maybe I need to give. Maybe I need to share. Maybe I need to open up my life and let him speak to me about what he wants to do with me, with my time, my finances, and God loves a cheerful giver. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have in store for us, Lord. We're so excited to hear uh, how you have worked in the lives of the Modris, Lord. We have open hearts ready to receive, Lord, and as we receive your blessings, Lord, we give back into your kingdom, Lord, and uh, bless the gift and the giver in Jesus' name. Amen. One simple sentence I just wanted to say, um, the best place to completely dry a towel is to fully spread it out under the sun. Let's welcome Angie this morning. Good morning. I threatened to not use a microphone, but I figured I better. So how many of you here are happy you serve a good God? Huh? Actually, we probably should have changed the message to the greatness of God, because he is really great. I think back in my life, and it's just amazing how he's been there and just taken care of everything, all of our needs, and it just... Sometimes it just actually blows my mind. You know, it's like, wow, that was really God. So I hope every one of you can say that, and I'm sure you can. And if not, I'm going to tell God to get you.
Um, so we, my name is Dan. This is my wife, Angie Modry. And uh, before we get started, I'd just like to open up in a prayer. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We give you this time. Lord, we ask that you use us, that we would be your mouthpiece today. Father, that if anybody here um, has anything that they need to um, deal with, or even to come to you, Lord, that they would know you today in a more deeper way. We give you this time, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So about a year ago this time, we were asked to share our testimonies in youth group. So Angie and I prepared, and they told us we had a certain amount of time, and I didn't think I would have enough to share in my time. But ended up, we ended up praying on the way up to church on a Wednesday night, and we decided that I was going to go first. We both had the piece that I would share first. And normally, a woman, and especially my wife, is a little bit more long-winded than I am. But I've, I've been with her so long that I think I'm starting to adopt that long-windedness. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... We get up there, and as a lot of these youth people, I'm sure you can remember, right? Guess who took the whole time up? I did. Matter of fact, I think I had to be cut off. But anyway, um, so now um, as we were asked to share today, um, we really felt the peace that I would have Angie share her testimony. And I'll add a little bit here and there of some things, but... I'm actually excited to hear it. I've heard it a few times, but not in its entirety. So um, it's a powerful, powerful testimony. And one of the things when I think about testimony is I think about the Word of God, that this is the greatest testimony that we have. You know, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And testament is a form of testimony. So one of the things in my research that I found was that I saw testimony in the Bible 39 times. And I'm not sure if it's 100% accurate, but as I was dwelling on that testimony being in the, in the Bible 39 times, I kept thinking back to our Lord Jesus when he was going to go to the cross and he was scourged. And again, I'm not sure if this is actually true, but there's, there's statements that the Romans would whip you 39 times, right? Does anybody remember that? Because if they would do 40, a lot of times it would kill the average man, is what I did some research on when they did the crucifixion. So I just thought, what an analogy, 39 times. What a testimony our, our Lord gave us, right? That he was scourged for us 39 times. And in the, in the Bible, 39 times the word testimony appears. I always think God's a neat God and his, he's into numbers, right? He even gave us a book called Numbers. So with that being said... Um, I'm going to turn it over to my wife, Angie. I don't know. Mine, mine's having a moment. Okay. All right. It's all good. Maybe I'm just not supposed to. <laughs> For the second time? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm honored. We were both honored that you had asked us to share. And as we prayed about it, um, just really came to the point of testimony as Dan was sharing and I guess I call this message today the goodness of God, because it is. It is a testament of what he's done in my life from beginning to end. So I'm going to start out with my birth story. You can put a picture of little me. 
So that was me at a couple months old there. I was adopted, just so you understand my use of birth mother as I'm going through this. I was born on November 22, 1964, and I share my birthday with Julie Bush and Kit Coffin Ivy if she's listening in online world. There was one Sunday, I mean, can you imagine three of us in the same church sharing the same birthday? It's pretty special. But we sang on a Sunday, and I think you and I were more the doo-wop girls and Kit the recording artist, she was out front, but very special. My birth mother. She was five, ten and a half, dark brown hair, dark brown eyes. It's not me. She was a freshman that was, I'm, I'm one of those, sorry, kind of bugging me. She was a freshman attending the U of M for arts in 1963. Music and the arts, so that's sounding more like me. My biological father was 5'9", he was a married man, and he was blonde and blue-eyed. Me. She came from an alcoholic, turbulent home, very turbulent home. And so in March, in the spring, when she became pregnant with me at college, um, both her and her mother felt it best that she would go to Booth Memorial Hospital until she gave birth to me. And we could put that wonderful, you're just on it. Lucas, you're awesome. So I just want to read a little excerpt about Booth Memorial Hospital, of where my mother went and where I was. So for 75 years, the Salvation Army in St. Paul operated a paternity home and hospital for unwed mothers. Booth Memorial Hospital housed thousands of young women who sought refuge, sometimes willingly, sometimes not, from the public censure that their status usually elicited. In the early 20th century, mothers were encouraged to keep and raise their babies. But after World War II, public and expert opinion suggested that surrendering these illegitimate babies for adoption was the best solution for mother, baby, and a deserving couple facing infertility. By the 1960s, at the peak of the maternity home movement, approximately 70% of single mothers at Booth relinquished their children for adoption. And I was one of them. So her mother and her felt it would be best for her to go there. And um, something really cool, I'm going to fast forward to when I was 30. I had a medical decision to make, and I needed to seek out my birth mother and get some medical information before I had this surgery done, which was going to be a complete hysterectomy. So I did contact Lutheran Social Services, who had merged with Lutheran Children and Friends Society back in the 70s, um, where I was adopted out of. And they did make contact with her. Um, it was on a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. at night. And she let me know that my birth mother was soft-spoken, but took charge of the conversation. Sounding more and more like me inside. Um, but she, she said absolutely no contact, which I wasn't looking for, and no medical information. So at that point, I could have stayed bitter, resentful, a lot of negative things. Um, I remember calling her very selfish. I said, I'm not like her at all inside. I would not do that. But that was very judgmental of me. And I had to get through that, and God dealt with me on that, because who am I? 
I've never walked in her shoes. She came from such a turbulent home life, and then to go to college. And here's a little part of what may have happened to her at college. So in my 30s, I had a salon attached onto her home was doing hair, cosmetology. And one of my customers who lived four houses down for, from us, she was the person who was running the OBGYN department here in Bemidji. But she also ran Booth Memorial Hospital for these unwed mothers back in the 1960s. She said that I and my mother would have passed through her arms and her hands. So I don't believe in chance, and I don't believe in coincidence at all. I believe that's a God thing, that she happened to be sitting in my chair at that moment. And she told me, she said, Angie, I need to be very, very honest with you. What you may hear, what you may find out. But she said back then in the 60s, was closed adoptions, but she said, well, most of them, but she said, at Booth Memorial Hospital, if it said on the birth record, had affair with a married man, or even just stating that the father was married, she said, in the 90th percentile, I would say that she was raped. Um, at the U of M, the ratio of men to women was 15 guys to one female. She said a lot of times the professors would ask a young girl to stay after class and would take advantage of her. And she said, we were told to write that on the birth record because it sounded better than saying raped. So number one, she comes from a turbulent home life. Number two, the situation that potentially happened of how I came to be and gave me up from adoption, for adoption, and then all these years later, here I come, calling. I possibly either threw her right back into therapy, or, you know, she just was really that emphatic with whatever was going on in her life at that moment, that no, no, I will not be giving up anything. So I can't, I can't place any judgment there. I haven't walked her shoes, because I love and respect her, that she chose to give me life. I could have very easily have been a backstreet abortion. And that's a very important topic these days, and me standing here today, I felt very passionate about sharing this this morning. Roe versus Wade was a decision back in January 1st, excuse me, January 22nd, 1973. 49 years later, this has been overturned by the Supreme Court and it's now in the hands of each state. And some states made it illegal for an abortion overnight, but not Minnesota. So we have a lot of work to do there, and I know it's been spoken from this pulpit before. I'm passionate about being involved and making sure that Minnesota becomes one of those. Follow suit. So I would just like to put up that next slide, there it is. Can I just say again how awesome you are? Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful. I know them full well. I do. I do. From the beginning of time, I was already spared. 
and I'm here for a purpose and a plan and a destiny. And I was not a mistake. And I have a really sweet, endearing story that I'd like my husband to share right now. So you're part of the awesomeness. You guys are a great team. So as you can see, this is my, oh, here. As you can see, this is a, a family picture of my family. Whoops. And uh, I'm the young little guy on my dad's lap there, down in the corner. Well, thank you. Um, haven't changed a bit, have I? Anyway, my mom and dad had 12 children. So we had six boys and six girls. We were called the even dozen. Um, and growing up, uh, my mom was kind of an educated uh, person. She was actually taught country school, and she was very, very wise. And so as I was growing up, and my about four, five, six years old, I would always follow my mom around the house when she was working and ask her questions after questions after questions. And I know she got tired of them. But one day, I finally came to the realization that, wow, I've got a big family, you know. So I went up to mom, and I said, mom, mom, I says, did you really want 12 kids? And she looked at me and she said, you know, Danny, she said, I was always told that God doubles everything you ask for. She said, I wanted six kids and I got 12. Well, we started kind of chuckling. I thought that was pretty neat, you know. And then she looked at me and she goes, yeah, but I'm still waiting for my $2 million. <laughs> so we laughed about that. And then at the end, she said, but I definitely got more than $2 million worth of love from my family. So anyway, just a story that is always, always, I always remember that. It's one of those times where you never forget something that was said to you. So anyway, and like Angie said, she was not a mistake, nor was I. Amen. None of you are. So on December 3rd, 1964, I was adopted. And this was the day before my mom's birthday. What a special present for her. My birth mother wanted me placed in a Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod home. That's a mouthful. But she cared about my spirit. She cared that I would grow up knowing who God is. And I thank her for that. And I did. I grew up in a two-parent home with a brother who's two years older than me. And he's the one who actually named me. Otherwise, you'd be referring to me right now as Linda or Teresa. That's what was on the chopping block. So, who knows the first story of adoption in the Bible? Oh, okay. My name is Angela, and it means angel or messenger of God. So today I'm a messenger of God. Thank you, honey. Do you know what the first story of adoption was in the Bible? Moses. Moses. So I'm going to read in Exodus. I never thought about it that way before, but as I was preparing for this, my eyes were opened. So we're going to read in Exodus. I'm going to read 1.15. So what was going on before this was basically Pharaoh was feeling a little overwhelmed because the Israelites were starting to really populate, and he didn't like that. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew wives, midwives, whose names were, I might butcher this, but Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. 
The midwives, however, they feared God and did not want to do what the king of Egypt, Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh, he gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw him into the Nile, but let every girl live. Well, in Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Can I just stop there? So we just had said previously that all the boy babies that were killed were being thrown into the Nile River, and now Pharaoh's daughter went down there to bathe. I'm just leaving that right there. But anyway, her and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother, Pharaoh's daughter, said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Doesn't say, and I've looked at other translations, it doesn't say became her adopted son. He became her son. She named him Moses, which meant, I drew him out of the water. I'm going to read Acts 7, 20 through 22. And it says, At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. He wasn't looked at as adopted. He wasn't looked at as an outsider. Pharaoh's daughter took him in as her own, and he was royalty. And so as we look at the Queen of England that had just died recently, and now it's King Charles stepping up into the place, over there, it's a definite bloodline to be an heir to the throne. And up for him, there was no question of Moses' heritage, worthiness, he simply belonged, as it should be with any adoption. 
And God had quite the story, heard the destiny, prepared for Moses as we read the stories in the Bible. He went on to do great and wonderful things. He's the one who is responsible for um, helping to rescue the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptian, where God parted the Red Sea, and then he closed it up and swallowed them all up in the sea, the Egyptians, excuse me. And then he gave God the Ten Commandments. Did I say it wrong? Okay, God gave, okay, you're with me, right? God gave him the Ten Commandments. Thank you. Thank you, great warrior one. So in the Bible, it's the greatest story of adoption. We are adopted as sons and daughters when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're adopted into the family of God. So if we could just put up that neck. I need to quit pointing because it's just there. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Wants to do and gives him great pleasure. This is Ephesians 1, 4 to 5. And now if we could put my mom's poem up. This is what she read to me about adoption. I think she had found this poem, and I looked online, and there's a lot of them like this, but I know that my mom tweaked it and made it her own for me. Not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, but chosen and loved as my very own. And I always felt that way by her and my dad. And by God. So growing up with my brother, however, different story. He constantly reminded that we are not blood. We were both adopted, not from the same mother. And so he let me know my entire life, Angie, stop it. We are not brother and sister. We are not related. Quit being dumb. Kids at school treated me horribly when they found out that I was adopted. For a whole year, I went through being called a liar. Stop it, Angie, you're a liar. You are not adopted. You're a liar. You're such a liar. Lost all my friends. It was horrible. And I remember coming home crying. I'm like, Mom, why don't they believe me? It's my story. I I don't get why there's such a... I didn't say this as a child, but I never understood why there was such a stigma back then to being adopted except just from pure ignorance. But then my neighbor lived up on the hill, was in my same class, Pete Melhouse, he was adopted. As soon as they found out there was two of us, well, I was no longer a liar. And I had a friend, I had, I had somebody to draw from the same story and we could relate to each other. And we stayed really good friends. Growing up in small town Olivia, didn't we honey? We lived a very good life, but a very sheltered life, which is why I'm sure nobody there had heard of adoption, uh, kids in my class anyway. I'm sure the adults knew. But um, when we both came up for college, up to BSU here in Bemidji, it was eye-opening. There's so many things we hadn't heard of, hadn't seen before. Um, Anyway, but at age 13, is when I made the best decision of my life. You're the second, sorry. But I became born again 
and gave my life to the Lord at my grandma's house in the purple bedroom with my cousin Barbie. My cousin Barbie, her and I each had brothers. I had one, she had two. And so our families did everything together. Anybody who's got cousins can maybe relate with that, where you do everything with your cousins, and that was my growing up. And she kept talking all the time about her youth group, and they watched The Cross and the Switchblade and Nikki Cruz, which you referred to not long ago. And they, they outreached, and I would go to their church over Easter break. Yep, we used to call it Easter break back then. Easter break, Christmas break, and I would go to their church, and when I brought it up to my parents, I'm like, oh, they're just so free there. They raised their hands there. My dad said, Barbie can stay here, but you're not allowed to go there on the weekend and go to their church anymore, because, you know, we don't do that in the Lutheran church. Now, I'm sure there's Lutherans out there that do. I'm not putting Lutheran down. It gave me a great foundation. I'm just telling my story. And any part of this is not to bring any condemnation to anybody at all or any judgment, please. But um, he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop me from being mentored by her, discipled by her, and other people that God brought along the way. And I'm just going to throw this in there right now. My dad, after my mom got sick, he did not believe miracles were for today. Angie, those were Old Testament times. I said, no, Dad, they're not. And of all the turbulence that we went through with my mom and dad about even getting married because he was Catholic, then became born again, my dad was like, oh, I wish he'd be Catholic instead of born again. Well, you know, we got married. <laughs> and then it was the whole point of, you know, dedicating our children instead of baptizing them. And Dan said, Angie, it's a little bit of water. If we go down to their church and they want to baptize their children, let them baptize. It's not worth a relationship. So we said if they came up here to dedicate our kids up here, we would do baptism down there. All better. Life was good after that. Just meant that much to them, and that's okay. But anyway, my dad, and I've shared this before, those of you who went through this with us, shared the story of when my dad said, wow, that was a miracle with my mom. And he told me miracles really do happen, Angie. I said, yeah, Dad, they do. That's the God that we serve. We prayed together, and back then, you don't pray with somebody who is not Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. You don't pray outside the body. And yet he told me I was joining a cult. Okay, anyway, probably shouldn't have said that. Scratch that one from there. <laughs> too late. But, but anyway, um, I got to get back to my point here. So as far as the miracle portion goes, yesterday I went to go see my dad. He's at Trillium Memory Care Unit. And I brought pictures of what I was going to show today and let him know that I would be sharing. And we had a very beautiful time together. And at the end, now I just shared with you my dad. I, I'm not Lutheran anymore. He still is. But he said, I want to pray for you, Angie. That meant so much to me. Oh, I'm sorry. 
That meant so much to me. I, I'm bawling through the whole thing. Parts of it I can remember, but when I was done, he said to me, he goes, tell him who you are, kid. Tell him who you are. And I said, who am I, Dad? You're mine and you're God's. That's who I belong to. Amen. So as life continued to go on, it gets even better. And then along came Danny. Woo! You get to share. We became high school sweethearts. So you can see our wedding picture up there. Um, it's a long time ago. Man, I had some hair there, didn't I? <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep this short. It's hard, it's hard for me because um, it's just kind of a neat thing. I believe, you know, from day one when I first saw my wife, I still remember it. I was in high school, and I was in play practice. Some of you guys know that I do plays. I have been in plays, been in some of here that have been a blessing to me. Um, but I'm looking across, and the girls' volleyball team was playing out on the floor, and we were up on stage practicing the play, and across all the way across into the bleachers was this gal sitting there, and I, did, I didn't even... Sitting on the bleachers. I was a very, very good bench warmer. Yeah. Bench warmer inch. But anyway, I, I looked at her, and I stopped, and it was almost like there was like this aura or glow or halo-like around her. And i like, wow. I said to myself, man, she looks just like an angel. And then, of course, kind of shook it off, went back to play practice. And then the second time when I actually met her, I ended up, and I'm going to try to keep this short, I ended up carrying her out to her, the car and putting her in her seat. Now, I was a pretty shy guy in high school, so why I did that, I don't know. So there was just something that I could tell that I was drawn to her. Um, but he carried me when it was my friend that I was with that liked him. Yeah, they, they stopped by my house. Anyway, um, that's a whole other story. It was a quiet conversation so, with my friend. Uh, I also had a best friend at the time. His name was Paul Silver. Uh, nickname was Sly. He was the youngest of 11 children, and him and I were born six days apart. But anyway, he had actually got cancer my senior year and spent a lot of time in the cities for treatments and stuff like that. And he's still around. He lived. He pulled through it. So praise God. He was, his family was very instrumental in me becoming a Christian um, through FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, but even though I accepted Christ in high school, um, as I started going, getting older and graduated from college, or from high school and was going to college, I really started to backslide. And, you know, I would go to college during the week and praise God and and we would have chapel every day, and, you know, I felt like I was on fire for the Lord, and then I'd go home to my hometown in, in Olivia for the weekend and end up partying, drinking, not being a good boy. And I was really messed up at that time. And just, you know, I, I know I needed God. I know I needed, you know, the Lord, and I just kept crying out to him. And Angie was a super help to me. Um, you know, she knew what was going on, and she told me, man, you're going down a dangerous road. And I thought maybe we were going to break up, and, but we didn't. And I could have definitely lost myself and her, but I'm so thankful that I have a Proverbs 31 woman who corrected me. 
at that time. Anything else I missed? You didn't miss a thing, baby. But um, I don't think I can live up to the Proverbs 31 part, but thank you. <laughs> so, okay, there's our marriage picture there. Um, before we got married, I went in for an appointment, and um, I was told that I could never have children. So I promptly went to him and gave him the ring back and said, um, you know, we talked about having four kids. I can give you none. And he said... Well, I just said, I, I'm, I'm in love with you. I'm marrying you. If we have kids or not, you know, we can look at adopting. And actually, it was kind of funny because we fell in line with her mom and dad. You know, they couldn't have kids and ended up adopting. And I said, you know, your parents did it. We can do it. Um, so... Well, anyway, I had four pregnancies and got two healthy girls. So they are our miracles, completely our miracles. And I went through so much sickness in my 20s and 30s. With both pregnancies, I was on bed rest. I almost died with Alicia. I had cancerous tissue with a molar pregnancy ending in a DNC, double lung pneumonia, cracking two ribs, food poisoning, lasting seven days, ending up in the hospital and almost dying. Broke my back with a compression fracture on my L1 thoracic lumbar, complete hysterectomy, gallstones, pancreatitis. I don't even want to add anything more to the list, but there is more. So my 20s and 30s were just pretty, pretty traumatic as far as sickness goes, but what it did do is it increased my faith because a lot of these stories have miracles attached to them of what God did. And the gallstone one, I actually made the book, Miracles Are Mine, because the Bible tells me so. And this is compiled together um, by Glynis Coffin, Grandma Joyce, and Shirley Walker. And these are all testimonies of people from Ten Strike Community Church. If you want to know what kind of a God we serve and healing, Healing is ours today, and there's more than just healing that's in here. So I'm sure the church has a copy for people. Yes, I am on page 30, and I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life through all of these. And when I broke my back with the compression fracture, I'm laying in emergency, and Dan said, who should I call? I said, Pastor Steve and Mona. Mona Carter and I, we are prayer warrior friends. Iron sharpens iron forever. Love that woman. She comes in, those who know Mona, she's pregnant out to here. She had six kids total. I don't know what number she was on, but they're all following behind her like a bunch of dunklings. And she comes up to my head. She says, how should I pray? And I told her, I don't want to be airlifted to Fargo. I need a clear CT scan, and I will not be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. She said, got it. She starts praying. I, at that moment, just rose up in faith right with her when the doctor said, well, he was trying to assure me how broken this was. And he said, Angela, it's like this. If you drink a pop can empty and you stamp on it and you smash it down, can you pull that apart? I said, no, but my God can. And he looked at me and just went, oh. Anyway, a week later, I was told I needed to go back into Dr. Livermore's office so that they could look at 
my back again and make sure things are healing properly. And we go in, and the, the doctor from the emergency room, why, happened to be there. Like I said, I don't believe in chance or coincidence. I believe God had him there to show him my x-ray. And so he's looking at my x-ray with all of us, and he goes, well, you need to put hers up here. And he said, that is hers. And he gets way up close, and he goes, this was compressed all the way down. This cannot be hers. And he, again, the doctor said, it is hers. And he just stood there, and he walked out the room. I wanted to say, see, see, I told you, this is the God I serve. He can, and he did. It was so exciting for me, but I, I didn't. I kept my composure and let God just do his, his own thing there. But I told you, you might be in shorter, right? In the emergency room. That's when I said, I rebuke and refuse that. I will not be 5'3". It's not happening. She's still 5'4 today. Yeah. I, I, I'm believing that too. <laughs> but I thank God for my church, family, and friends, my pastor. I, what a godsend. The goodness of God was so evident to me through people that he used and the miracles that he performed. But his love, his care through these people got us through so many turbulent events, didn't it, honey? So I knew that turning 40 was going to be my best and healthiest years yet. And we went to a gathering, which I think was for my birthday. Um, not the one that you were at, but it was our card club. And there were, there were two gals there that came up to Dan. They said, Dan, Angie is really in denial about this whole turning 40 thing. And he said, really? You of all people should know, with everything that she's been through, she really believes, without a shadow of a doubt, her 40s and beyond are going to be her best yet. And they have, and they have. So putting faith first is huge. And watch God work. He will. He will. So this next part I call, oh, the love of my fathers. So I told you about physical things I went through, but I hit the lowest point of my life emotionally. I was in a pit and feeling anxious despair like never ever had experienced before. It was the hardest year of my life. And I ended up being alone on a weekend. Dan was gone, girls were gone, Alicia had graduated. And it was a Saturday and I was lying face down on the floor, crying out to God, quoting my favorite scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. It's my life song. It's not just a scripture. It's not just, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is me still picturing myself laying on the floor. It is me trying to get through all these other circumstances that I just listed. I can. I can, I can, I can. And so can you do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We can't do it on our own. We can't. I don't know how some people make it through the things they've made it through without having God as the center of their life. I, I don't, but I got to a point that if I wasn't here anymore on this planet, everybody would be better off. It was a lie. I knew it was a lie from the enemy, and I knew that I needed help. I didn't think of the actual word suicide. I didn't think, like, listing what things I could have used, what I could have done. I, I didn't get that far, but I got to a very desperate place. 
And I did not feel that there was one person that I could contact because of various reasons that were just dancing through my head. And that was a lie. But I called my dad. And as I said, growing up, he was my best friend, truly one of my best friends. But I didn't want to call him. I didn't want to put this on him when my mom had just gotten home from the hospital. She had been going through chemotherapy. Um, she, her, her kidneys had shut down. They treated her aggressively. She lost so much weight. She was weak, frail. She had been battling fungal pneumonia besides. Very weak. Couldn't travel up here. We knew to see her, we would have to be going down there, which was Olivia, Minnesota. And so I called, and I'm bawling. And my dad goes, Angie, I know this is you. And so I told him, and they also knew, he knew what I had been going through that year. And he said, your mom wants to speak. And I went, no, she can't talk. No, no. Puts the phone to her, and she gets on. She goes, let go. Let God. And I'd heard that so much growing up, but when I heard that, as weak as she was, she still knew, like, Angie, <laughs> let this go. You've got to let God rise up strong in you. And so my dad gets back on the phone. He says, Angie, give me four hours. I said, for what, Dad? Well, the distance from Olivia to Bemidji is four hours. And he said, I'm going to pack up your mom and our things, and I'll be up there. And I said, no. No, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, she's too frail. You can't do that. But he was determined, and I said, no, Dad, one more time, please, you can't. And at that moment, I felt just the tangible presence of God. There was just a, a hot and a warm just going up and down my body. And last week, Tim Pomp had said, open your arms up during one of the worship songs and let Jesus hug you. Well, I was being held and hugged. It was just this whoosh of just love, the love of God. And I told Dad, I said, Dad, Dad, I need to tell you what just happened to me. And I shared it with him, and he said, I will still be there with your mother in four hours. And they said, no, you can't. You can't sacrifice her for me. Please don't come. I really, really, really mean it. I'm really going to be okay. So he must have called me 50 times from Saturday to Sunday morning and until he knew Dan was home, like through the night, hour by hour, making sure I was still okay. And I was. But I came to church. And why you walk in and go right down to the front when you're a basket case? But I did. So I'm a creature of habit, and I love being down front and just, oh, not being distracted by anything else and just praise and worship. And right now we've been in the back helping, you know, with, with our grandbabies, which is such a beautiful, fun season to be part of. But anyway, I'm down front, and Pastor Steve is preaching, and he kept shaking his head and doing this stop-start. And all of a sudden he just stops. He goes, I just got to stop. You remember this? And he said, the Holy Spirit, just somebody needs to hear this. I know it's one person. It might be for more. But I'm sitting down front, and his finger and his eyes land on me, and he says, let go 
and let God. Wow. At that moment, I wanted to stand up, even though I'm bawling, and tell everybody, go home, go home. This was all about me today. It was all for me. None of this was for you. Just go home. <sighs> I had friends that came up to me afterwards. How are you doing? And big hugs. It was just beautiful and very special. And I thank each and every one of you for that. But when I get to the door, Pastor Steve didn't just side hug me or shake my hand. No. He gave me the big, huge bear hug, the biggest hug I've ever received from him, and the hug I probably would have gotten from my dad had he come up, and he just held me for what seemed like an eternity, and I just cried, cried, and cried, and I told him afterwards, thank you, and we talked, and, but thank you. Thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit of just stopping and saying that it was such a confirmation and an affirmation to me of not only who God is, but, all right, I got you loud and clear. I'm letting go of this situation, and it's all about you. It's, it's you. I, I'm clinging to you, and I'm letting that go. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come meeting Jesus, that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we've heard this many times before, but it's true. That's my story. He's coming after Christians. He's already got the people who haven't received Jesus. He's coming after Christians because he doesn't want any of us to be walking with Jesus. He wants us for hell, not for heaven. Synonyms of abundant are copious, fully, amply, in large quantities, large measure, but on Wikipedia, I found this definition, and I love it. Abundant life refers to life in its abounding fullness of joy and strength for spirit, soul, and body. Oh, amen. I love that. I will never go in that pit again. I will never. And some people say, you shouldn't say never to God. I'm not saying it to God. I'm letting the enemy know then and today, I will never go in that pit again, ever. And I have teetered, clo teetered close to the edge. But I know the God that I serve. And I know his hand has been on me to the beginning to today. And that hand will never leave me nor forsake me. We leave him. He doesn't leave us. And it says that promise in his word. Grandma Joyce once quoted the scripture, Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength, but she turned it backwards. Yep, you're smiling. But the strength of the Lord is my joy. We can draw from that strength. Draw from that strength no matter what you're going through. And by the way, if you're going through something and the enemy's trying to lie to you and put something dancing through your head, there's nobody you can call. They're all going to judge you. They're going to criticize you. Call me. Call me. I will be there for you. I will listen to you. I will come to you. I will hold you. Nobody should be alone. Everybody needs someone to build them back up again. I have confidence in who my God is. And he is so, so good. And that song, Evidence, 
That's my life. The evidence is right there of everything that he's done. Julie, those songs. I know I told you already this morning, but I texted Pastor Steve. I called him. Excuse me. I texted him, and I said, I'm crying right now. Have you seen Julie's set list? Wow. The networking of God just, I don't know why it astounds me, but it does. Like Dan said, why do we get surprised? But I am. So when I read the word of God, this is how I feel. No matter our situation in life, no matter the answers that we need or what we're dealing with or going through, all of it, all of it is in the word of God. And Jesus took all of it on the cross for us. He did. He did. (sighs) That's one of the greatest things I've seen on Facebook. Not a lot of things I like on there, but... That was pretty awesome. I love that. That's how I felt that day when I needed that hug. And you gave me the same one. I was not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. I have a purpose. You have a purpose. I am worthy, and you are worthy. I am enough. You are enough. I used to tell my girls that when I was raising them. You don't have to be Abby. You don't have to be Alicia. Who you are is enough. You don't have to be anybody else but who God created you to be for such a time as this. He doesn't want another Alicia. He doesn't want another Abby. Or he would have made two. He didn't. I am loved. You are loved. I was chosen. You are chosen. I have a destiny, and you have a destiny God has specific for each one of us for such a time as this. I was spared just as Moses was not thrown in the Nile River, and I was not aborted. I am pro-life, and Roe versus Wade was overturned, like I said. And Minnesota, we need to be next. We have a voice, and now is the time for our voices to be heard for the unborn that can't speak for themselves. Women have rights. Not going to argue that. But the unborn needs a voice. They have a right. So this video clip that we're about to watch beautifully sums up who our God is and the goodness of who he is. He's everything. This is by Priscilla Shriver. She was at a women's conference, so she is going to refer to all of us as sisters. But it's for men, women alike. So um, I, I actually sought out permission to show this in church so we don't have to shut off the live feet. Yay. So anyway, um, this is not the end. I'm going to come back up after this. So if the worship team would join me back up front after the video, that'd be great. When you feel like you can't handle the task at hand and you ask yourself, girl, who's your daddy? Because I remember when Jerry said that to me and I I got a good look at him, I felt secure, I felt taken care of, not because of me, but because of who I belonged to. And what if when you got a good look at your God, remembering who he is and that you belong to him. Listen, I think until the Lord uh, stops me from taking platforms and ministering to women, I will say this until the day that I die, reminding myself as I do when I am quietly alone and I look myself in the mirror and say, girl, who's your daddy? You know what I tell myself? I tell myself, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced but eased pain. He was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He is risen to bring power and he reigns to bring peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And leaders, they can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. The new age cannot replace him. And Oprah cannot explain him away. She can't. She can't do it. You remind yourself that he is life, he is love, he is longevity, and he is the Lord. He is goodness and kindness and faithfulness, and he is God. He is holy and righteous and powerful and pure. His ways are right, his word eternal, his will unchanging, and his mind is on us. He's our Savior, our guide, our peace, our joy, our comfort, our Lord, and he rules our lives. I serve him because his bond is love, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and his goal for us is abundant life. I follow him because he's the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of all leaders. His goal is a relationship with me. He'll never leave you, never forsake you, never mislead you, never forget you, never overlook you, and never cancel your appointment in his appointment book. Never. When you fall, he'll lift you up. When you fail, he'll forgive you. When you're weak, he's strong. When you're lost, he's your way. When you're afraid, he's your courage. When you stumble, he will steady you. When you're hurt, he's going to heal you. When he's broken, when you're broken, he will mend you. When you're blind, he will lead you. When you're hungry, he will feed you. When you face trials, he's with you. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he will comfort me. When I face loss, he will provide for me. And when we face death, he will carry us all home to meet him. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is your God, and that, sisters, is who you belong to. It's not, I lied. In church, too. Sorry. Um, That's just so powerful. I mean, if, if you're ever feeling down, put that video on. This is the God that you serve. This is the God who's the God of all. This is your God. Who's your daddy? That's your daddy. If you do not have a daddy, maybe you've never had one on this earth. Maybe you had a daddy and he left you. Maybe he had a, you had a daddy and he was not kind to you. You have a daddy in heaven that loves you. He's there for you. He's everything for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he wants to be your daddy. He is your Abba Father. Don't let today go by without making that decision to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life if you have not already Heaven and hell are two very real places, and when the end comes, it says in his word, we will be going to one or the other. So I just encourage you to come down front this morning for prayer. 
Um, maybe, you, maybe you've walked away from the Lord. It's time to come back. Come and remember who your daddy is. Come and say, I choose you, Daddy God. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I just love this song, The Goodness of God. I had planned to sing this. And then Julie put it in her set. I'm like, wow. So um, after we're, we're done singing this, um, please feel free to either come to the altar. There'll be my husband, pastor, other people to pray with you. Or feel free to go and start fellowshipping together and enjoy the wonderful food of Adana Maria. So blessings on your week. Thank you. So this has been a while for me to sit at the piano up here and be a part. Um, I have been doing some doctoring for my voice, and I believe God's got this one too. Amen. He's not going to stop me. love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my hand, I will sing of the goodness. Yes, I will. I love your voice. Love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God.
testimony, Dan and Angie, really spoke to our hearts. Thank you so much for sharing that. And here's a word for us today. God is calling you, 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 to a new place in this hour of fellowship with him. You know we're called to fellowship? His son, Jesus Christ, he's calling you to a new place of fellowship with his son today. New place, and that's going to be needed for the days ahead. He's going to be using you in these days ahead. Important days ahead in the body of Christ. What a day to live. What a day we have to live in here. Praise God. So let's fellowship come for prayer if you like. Let's fellowship as we eat together too. Good. Yeah. 